0: in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. You have honored us with your presence. Uh, you've been an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. And we hope that you'll come back every opportunity that you have. We realize that it's by no accident that you visit this morning. You probably set your alarm clock last night. You made plans. You got up. You got ready this morning, and we appreciate. You're doing that, and we hope that you'll find it a valuable enough experience uh, that you want to do that every Sunday morning, and not for us, but for God. I like the little story of the guy that decided he wanted a pet, went down to the pet store, and he said, I want an unusual pet. And the guy said, well, the most unusual pet I have is a centipede. He said, never thought about that. A little creature with a hundred legs? I'll take it. He gave him a little box to keep it in. He took it home, and he was quite impressed with his pet. He talked to it, and he carried it most everywhere he went. On Sunday morning, he got up, and he thought, I wonder if I should take my centipede to church. He thought, yeah, I think I'll do that. So he looks down in the box, and he says, Hey, wake up. It's time to go to church. Get ready. A little time went by, and the centipede never came out. He looked down again and said, It's time to go to church. Get ready. The little centipede didn't come out. Third time, he yells down, it's time to go to church. Centipede says, I heard you the first time I've been putting on my shoes. (laughs) At my house, I sometimes think my kids have a 100 feet. We're glad you put on your shoes this morning. We're glad that you're here. And we want to encourage you, if you don't have one of the little cards that's been made available in some of the bulletins, and they're probably also available out in the foyer, Please be sure and pick up one of the cards and it's going to tell you some topics that we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks or at least beginning today. I want you to understand that as you look at these topics, it's going to quickly come to your mind, these are similar things that people have been talking about at school or out in the community or out in the workplace because of the movie that's made such a tremendous amount of splash in our society, which is a good thing when people are talking about Jesus Christ. I want you to realize that as we study the next six weeks, we won't be studying the movie. But we'll be studying from God's Word about the topics that are being discussed. Why is it that Jesus Christ had to die to begin with? How could the death of one by execution mean grace for us? How could an all-loving God crucify His Son and show grace through that? What should our response be to that? What does the resurrection prove? Many of these topics are things that we'll address over the next several weeks. We hope that you will come back and be a part of this study with us of God's Word. When we consider the verses that have just been read, they're quite remarkable in the sense that if for a moment we could pretend that we didn't know that they existed, And we would think about that scene of Jesus in Gethsemane. And as Jesus was pouring out His heart to the Father, and He was sweating as if it were great drops of blood falling to the ground, and He was having that spiritual wrestling, if you will, with wanting to do God's will, wanting to be willing to die on the cross, but at the same time, wanting some other way to be offered But again, coming back to saying, Thy will be done. What happened before that? You know, a lot of folks, if you ask them what happened before that, they would say, well, He was up in the upper room. And they were celebrating a Passover. And they were instituting the Lord's Supper. And Jesus was washing their feet. And all that is true. But have you ever stopped to think that the Bible does tell us at least one thing Jesus did from that time to the time that same night that He made it over to the Garden of Gethsemane? What would be on your mind if you were about to go to Calvary? If you were about to stand before the Sanhedrin knowing you would be misrepresented if you were to be dragged in front of Pilate knowing that you would not receive a fair trial, if you were to go through the, the scourging and all of the spitting and the plucking of the beard and the crown of thorns and dragging the cross and meeting it again at Calvary, what would be on your mind as you approached the garden of Gethsemane? It's interesting that somewhere along that time, before they approached the brook of Cadron, Jesus stopped to pray. And in John, the 17th chapter, we have the longest discourse of prayer recorded in the scriptures that's a prayer of Jesus Christ. He prays for himself that God would glorify him, he prays for the disciples that are alive and that are following him right then. And finally, He prays for all believers that would yet to come. That would include us today if we're believers in Jesus. Jesus prayed for us before He went to Gethsemane to pray for Himself again. This morning, we don't have time to study every aspect of this beautiful prayer. But if you would, I would like for us to drop back to even an earlier verse in this prayer than what the text that was so capably read this morning even picked up. And I'd like for us to note at least three things that we can learn about this prayer that Jesus prayed. I'd like to drop back and read verse 6 now. In John, the 17th chapter, in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world that were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept Your Word. Now notice this. Jesus' prayer is for those that have kept the Word. He's on His way to the cross. And His appreciation, His prayer of thanksgiving, are for those apostles that have kept the Word. How did they keep this Word? Let's go back and let's look at a parable. Let's look in Luke the 8th chapter and let's see a parable that Jesus taught about the importance of keeping the Word. Because friends, if this is something that was on the mind of Jesus as He went to Calvary, that He was thankful that individuals kept His Word, I want to be one that also keeps His Word if that's that important to Jesus. But then we ask the question, how do you keep the Word of the Lord? In Luke the 8th chapter, let's begin reading at verse 5 through 8, and we're going to see a parable here. Notice the four types of soil. In other words, if we were to go out today and plant seeds, those seeds would go into one of four types of soil most likely. Here's how the parable went. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as the sower... As he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among the thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's probably pretty self-explanatory, but just to make sure, imagine in your mind a man is out sowing seeds, and on the way he drops a few seeds on the pathway. Well, the pathway is very hard, and so what's going to happen? Because it's hard, it's not going to go in the ground, it's going to lie on top of the ground, so before it could ever even germinate and go in and sprout and develop roots, a bird's going to fly by and eat that seed. The Word of God is preached. What are you going to do with it? Will it be there just ready for Satan to devour it? But we see that some fell among the rocky ground. Perhaps there was a little gully, if you will, on the side, a little ditch on the side of the pathway. And some of the seeds fell over there. And they had enough soil that they were able to sprout, but yet there was not enough of the perfect conditions, enough moisture, enough soil, so that it could do well. And so it grew, but then it died just as quickly as it grew. Then... There was that area where the soil soil was of a good enough soil to grow something, but only weeds had grown there. And so when the seed falls into that, it grows, but all of the weeds choke out that plant so that it can't have enough sunlight, it can't have enough moisture, and it dies. But Then there's the good soil. Now, friends, what can we learn about this parable. Let's go to the next few verses. We're skipping down now to verse 11. We're still in Luke the 8th chapter. And this is what Jesus wanted us to learn about this parable. Now, I want you to keep in mind the reason we're studying this parable is because on the way to the cross, Jesus said, I want to offer a prayer of thanksgiving. For whom? For the people that have kept my word. How important is it to Jesus that we keep His Word? Of ultimate importance, how do we keep the Word? Let's read this parable being explained now, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the Word out of their mouths, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear, receive the Word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation... They fall away. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. Now, notice verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. There's your phrase. Who are the ones? It's the ones with the good heart. It's the ones that are the good soul. The Word of God goes into that noble heart, into that good heart. Does a farmer have to prepare the soul? Does a person, if they're going to please God, have to prepare their heart in order to hear the Word of God? We have to have a good heart, an honest heart, a noble heart, or we will not deal justly with the Word of God. The pathway didn't deal justly with the Word of God. The rock didn't deal justly with the Word of God. Growing up among thorns is not dealing justly with the Word of God. But when we take and say, God, I'm going to make You top priority in my life. I don't want anything to choke it out. Lord, I'm going to give You, in my heart, I'm going to give You enough watering, enough soil, enough sunshine. I'm going to nurture You in my heart so that Your Word can grow. Your Word can bear fruit. And so he says here, in a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. In other words, with endurance. Back up a few, or go over a few pages to Romans the 10th chapter. In Romans the 10th chapter, we have an interesting description of some people that they were excited about God, but there's something else that they were not excited about. Can I be just real honest and blunt this morning for a moment? How many of us have heard people stand around the workplace or school and talk about how this movie has made me excited about God again? This movie is really stirring an interest about God again. You know, that's awesome. All of us ought to be excited about God because there is nothing else that should bring greater excitement in our life than what God has done for us. But did you know that God says zeal for Him, zeal alone, is not enough? Notice what He says to these people in Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 1 and following Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness. You hear what Paul is saying? I've seen with my own eyes, I've seen this. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You know what Paul is saying there? He says these people were excited about God, but when it came to putting legs on their faith, when it came to putting commitment in their heart, When it came to making submission in their life, saying, I want not only to be excited about God, but I want to know, God, what's your will in my life? I want to keep the Word. He says they weren't excited about that. Instead, they decided they wanted to go out and define their own acts of righteousness, and in fact, they weren't righteous at all. And so on the way to the cross, Jesus says a prayer. And in that prayer... Jesus prays a prayer of thanksgiving for those that have kept the word. Friends, would I be a part of Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving today because I've kept the word? A second thing that he prayed about, and if you're back in the text here of John, the 17th chapter, he prayed for them in verse 14 about the battle that they would have to fight. Notice how it's said here. In the 14th verse, he says, I have given them your word. Remember, he's already said they've kept it. And the world has hated them because they were not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I thought it was interesting. In one of the interviews with Mel Gibson, they asked him, Why did you put all that symbolism in there with Satan? They are pretty odd scenes. And we don't have any idea from Scriptures if it would have been like that. And most would say it probably wasn't like that. And that's why it's called symbolism. Symbolism. But I thought his answer was quite remarkable. He said, I wanted people to realize that on that day, it wasn't just a physical crucifixion, that there was a spiritual battle taking place. The war was won that day, friends, but the battle was still taking place. You better believe that 1 Peter 5 and 8 teaches us that Satan is walking around with his little shopping cart and he's seeking whom he may devour. The battle is real and it goes on day after day. And so when John records here Christ's prayer, he's saying in this prayer, he's saying, I'm praying for them. Why? Because I know the battle they're going to have to go through. How does Jesus know this battle? Turn back a few pages in your Bible to John, the 15th chapter. Notice how he describes this battle in the 18th verse, John 15, beginning at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. Now, who crucified Jesus? It was the world that crucified Jesus. It was the world of sin that crucified Jesus. It was envy and hatred that crucified Jesus. And so now Jesus is talking to His apostles and He says, Listen, if they hate you, don't be surprised. They hated me. Now, He's speaking in a prophetic sense here, but He's telling them, Just look what they're going to do to me. Can you imagine how they were able after Calvary and after the resurrection to think back in their mind and think, you know, He warned us about this. Look at the hatred that they had for Him. And then it was probably a very sobering thought as they also thought, not only did He say, look at the hatred they had for me, but let's read on. Verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. For if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The word, will keep also. Servant's not greater than the master. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute his followers. Those that followed the words of Jesus are also the ones that will follow the words of the apostles. When he's talking to you, he's talking to the apostles here. What's the point? I must realize that any time I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that there are going to be those that don't appreciate the fact that I've chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What will you and I do when we're fighting that kind of battle? It's interesting that not only did he say there in John 17 about them, the world hating them, but notice what he said in verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Jesus is praying to God, don't take the apostles out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. I have a question for you. Did God honor this prayer? Did He keep the apostles from the evil one? Now, when we look in secular history, almost everyone agrees that out of the 12 apostles, 11 of them died the death of martyr. They died because they would not deny the faith of Jesus Christ. It's said that Peter was crucified upside down. Others were tossed from high uh, points and pinnacles. Others were clubbed to death. Some were stoned to death. Some were pierced with swords. Did God not honor this prayer? Lord, just keep them from the evil one. And Jesus dies, He's ascended to heaven, and a few years later they're all dying. Did He not honor it? Of course He honored it. You see, sometimes we see so many things physically instead of spiritually. The first part of this verse when He said, Don't take them out of the world. He was literally praying to God, don't build a hedge about them so that they can't have influence upon the world. He's going to give them the great commission to go into all the world. He doesn't give them a great commission that says avoid the world. He's saying go into the world and preach and teach those people. But, what if the world persecutes them? Jesus says, I've already told you that. It's going to happen. Well, then what do you mean when He says keep them from the evil one? He's talking about their soul. Did Peter win the battle or lose the battle if he died faithfully on a cross to Jesus Christ? He won the battle. Satan didn't win that one. His soul was kept from Satan. Friends, I need to realize as long as I'm on this earth, this earth will never be heaven there are going to be challenges, there are going to be battles to fight, there are going to be losses, there are going to be disappointments, there's going to be disease, there's going to be temptation. As long as I'm on the earth, what is important is that I don't allow Satan to win the battle and in that I keep my soul from him. And so Jesus is on the way to the cross and He stops somewhere in between to say a prayer even before Gethsemane and He says a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, Thank you that some have kept the Word. Lord, be with those that are going to battle as I leave this earth. But then finally, he prays, let them sanctify their life. In John, the 17th chapter, he says it this way. Verse 16, They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, and that they also may be sanctified by the truth. You see the two reoccurring words in those three verses? Over and over we read about sanctification, being sanctified. And then we read about truth. How are we going to be sanctified? Sanctified means to be apart from that which is common or, or, or unclean. And when we are set apart from that, we are now after the very nature of God. And so in other words, the question is, what is my nature going to be? Am I going to be driven by self, by Satan, by sinful desires, by carnal nature? Am I going to be driven by whatever the TV advertisement lures me into? Am I going to be driven by whatever my peers say, Hey, come on, let's do this. Or am I going to have a standard in my life that separates me? Sanctification, to be separated. God said through Jesus in this prayer, Jesus is saying, I want my people to be sanctified. I want them to be different. And the only way that can happen is to sanctify them by thy truth. What is truth? If you have your Bible open, you remember in John, the 18th chapter, Pilate had been out there with Jesus before the crowd, and he pulls Pilate back inside and gives him a little talking to to try to figure out why did they hate him so much and who is he really? Who is it that could stir so much hatred among people? And you remember Pilate therefore said to him, this is verse 37, John 18, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. Why? King of the kingdom of heaven. And for this cause I've come to this world. Why? It's a spiritual kingdom, and he was going to have to die in order to purchase it. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And listen to Pilate as he says, What is truth? When he says this, it went out from among them. That's a sobering thought. A man that didn't know what is truth. Which way are you leading your family? I hope you know truth. Which direction is your soul traveling today? I hope you know truth. What kind of neighbor and worker are you and student at school? I hope you know truth. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. The point is, to live a Christian life is not only to keep the Word of God and to realize that we're fighting that battle, but it's also recognize that we're going to be separate. We're going to be different. And the difference is the standard by which we live by. We live by truth. This morning, I want to read something that, as we close... The first time I read this, I thought to myself, whoever wrote that understood something about being separated from the world and sanctified and set up on God. Our theme this year in this congregation is the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our banner. We want to march with the Lord. And I hope and pray this morning as we all leave here that we all will be marching under the banner of our Lord. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power, the die has been cast. I have stepped over the line, hear that sanctification? The decision has been made, I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back, I won't let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future's secure, I'm finished, I'm done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, and popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean in presence, walk by patience, and uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. The way is rough. My companions are few. My God is reliable. and My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pools of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till He comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till He stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Jesus was on the way to Calvary. He stopped to pray. And putting it in other words, he said as a part of that prayer, God, thank you for those that kept your word. Be with them as they continue in battle and help them to always be set apart from the world. And he left from there to be crucified so that we could be redeemed. Have you been redeemed? It's the most important question that could be asked. Jesus is the only answer, God's grace is the only solution. If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins and confess before a man that He is, won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins and be redeemed? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost focus. Maybe you haven't kept the Word. Maybe you haven't been a faithful soldier in battle. Maybe you haven't lived a sanctified life lately. You know, that's easy to confuse priorities. We all understand how easy that is. But even though we may understand it, it doesn't make it right. Thank God. Jesus, thank God. Thank God there is a solution. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.